1: In today's study, Chuck completes his teaching on the book of Psalms, chapters 81 through 89.
0: The word that Isaiah, the son of Amos, saw concerning... Oh, excuse me, I'm going to flash back a couple of verses I stuck in here because we're talking about Zion. When you go to Isaiah 2... The word that Isaiah the son of Amos saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem shall come to pass in the last days that the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established in the top of the mountains and shall be exalted above the hills and all the nations shall flow unto it. Zechariah 2 says a similar thing. Sing and rejoice, O daughter of Zion, for lo, I come and I will dwell in the midst of thee, saith the Lord, and many nations shall be joined to the Lord in that day and shall be my people." And I will dwell in the midst of thee, and thou shalt know that the Lord of hosts hath sent me unto thee. So, these are all, this is is consistent with what the psalmist is saying. Then he goes on, the psalmist continues now, Psalm 87, verse 4. I will make mention of Rahab. This is not Rahab the harlot, this is a different phrase. Rahab and Babylon, to to them that know me. Behold, Philistia and Tyre and Ethiopia. This man was born there. The word Rahab here is, is a term used for Egypt, by the way. It's not obvious, okay? It's not Rahab the harlot, if you will. And of Zion it shall be said this, and that man was born in her, and the highest himself shall establish her. The Lord shall count when he writeth up the people that this man was born there, Selah. So this is, uh, uh, again, Rahab uh, the harlot. It's a southern. It, it's idiomatic of the southern world power, which in those days was Egypt. The word Rahab uh, actually means arrogant, interestingly enough. Babylon represents the northern world power. Babylon means confusion. And Felicia, Tyre, and Ethiopia are also mentioned. See, the arrogance and confusion of these nations will end when Christ is reigning in Zion. That's really what the the flavor of this is. And it fascinates me to see Ethiopia here because they're going to have a very special role, we'll discover when we study that. The first convert of this whole gang was an Ethiopian eunuch. He was born again there in the desert. And I think there is a manifest destiny of something that they're protecting to this day. I will make mention of Rahab and Babylon to them that know me. Below, behold, Fish uh, Phyllis, entire Ethiopia. This man was born there in Zion. It shall be said, this and that man was born in her, and the highest himself shall establish her. The Lord shall count when he writeth up the people. This man was born there in Selah. And uh, so, see, the king of kings is going to make Zion the capital of the world. Interesting idea. And uh, so, there are going to be many who will turn to the Lord in that day, recognizing that they were deceived by the, the coming world leader, the Antichrist. Continues, as well the singers as the players on the instrument shall be there. All my springs are in thee. Okay, Psalm 88, we're getting close to the end here. A song or psalm for the sons of Korah to the chief musician of mahalath leonoth, and uh I have no idea what that is in terms of the musical implications. Uh, Heman the Ezraite, um, uh, this is, this is uh, a psalm has been speculatively applied to uh, Job and Uzziah who had leprosy and Jeremiah and when he was in the dungeon and also Hezekiah when he was sick. So scholars have tried to apply this to each of those different situations, but that's speculative. So I haven't really tried to develop that um, We'll just, see, we'll just try to extract it for what value it may be to us. O Lord God of my salvation, I have cried day and night before thee. And that certainly would apply to Isaiah, to Job, and to Hezekiah, Jeremiah, and so on. Let my prayer come before thee, incline thine ear unto my cry, for my soul is full of troubles, and my life draweth nigh unto the grave. Some of these psalms may not mean a lot to us until we really get that desperate. Then they'll have... Great significance. I am counted with them that go down into the pit. I am as a man that hath no strength. Free among the dead like the slain that lie in the grave, whom thou rememberest no more, and they are cut off from thy hand. Thou hast laid me in the lowest pit, in darkness, in the deeps. Thy wrath lieth hard upon me, and thou hast afflicted me with all thy waves. Selah. The writer of the psalm is really low, really down, really terrified, really frightened. Thou hast put away mine acquaintance far from me. Thou hast made me an abomination unto them. I am shut up and I cannot come forth. Mine eye mourneth by reason of affliction. Lord, I have called daily upon thee. I have stretched out my hands unto thee. Wilt thou show wonders to the dead? Shall the dead rise and praise thee? Shall thy loving kindness be declared in the grave? Or thy faithfulness in destruction? Shall thy wonders be known in the dark? And thy righteousness in thy land of forgetfulness? But unto, unto thee have I cried, O Lord, and in the morning shall my prayer hinder thee, prevent thee, preclude thee. Lord, why castest thou off my soul? Why hidest thou thy face from me? I'm afflicted and ready to die from my youth up while I suffer thy terrors. I am distracted. Thy fierce wrath goeth over me. Thy terrors have cut me off. They came round about me daily like water. They compassed me about, all to, about together. Lover and friend hast thou put far from me and mine acquaintance into darkness. Now, Psalm 88, by the way, I forgot to mention, that, I think, is the most doleful of all the Psalms. It's the darkest, lowest, plaintive Thing. I meant to mention at the beginning, but I think it was pretty obvious. It is recognized as the, the nadir, if you will. Okay, one last one. The Davidic Covenant. And this is by Ethan, or later called Judethan, Ezra Ezrahite. I will sing of the mercies of the Lord forever. With my mouth will I make known thy faithfulness to all generations. Ethan, by the way, was of Solomon's reign. And some people feel this describes the invasion of Shishak, which occurred during the reign of Rehoboam. That's after David. So it may have been a successor to the original Ethan, or it may be prophetic, either way. And the faithfulness occurs about 10 times, and uh, the covenant will appear four times, and I will have sworn, God says, three times. I will not lie, says four times. It's his, God's faithfulness, that's in view here. And uh, so... And the psalmist is going to make an interesting argument here. He's going to say, if I lost my soul, God will lose even more than that. My soul is nothing. If I lose that, God will lose something even bigger. His reputation. Interesting point of view. So I'm nothing. So if I lose that, I'm nothing. But God will lose his reputation and his, his word. Interesting perspective. I will sing of the mercy of the Lord forever. My mouth will I make known thy faithfulness to all generations. For I have said, mercy shall be built up forever. Thy faithfulness shalt thou establish in the very heavens. See, it's thy faithfulness, God's faithfulness, that's the issue through this whole psalm. I have made a covenant with my chosen. I have sworn unto David my servant. Thy seed will I establish forever and build up thy throne to all generations. Selah. God speaking on behalf of David. And the heaven shall praise thy wonders, O Lord, thy faithfulness, also in the congregation of the saints. For who in the heaven can be compared unto the Lord? Who among the sons of the mighty can be likened unto the Lord? God is great to be feared in the assembly of the saints, and to be had in reverence of all them that are about him. O Lord God of hosts, who is a strong Lord like unto thee, and to thy faithfulness round about thee? Thou rulest the raging of the sea. When the waves thereof arise, thou stillest them. Thou hast broken Ahab into pieces as one that is slain. Thou hast scattered thine enemies with thy strong arm. Again, this is a reference to Egypt, not not the Rahab we know in in, in, uh, Jericho. The heavens are thine, the earth also is thine. As for the world and the fullness thereof, thou hast founded them. The north and south... Thou hast created them. Tabor and Herman shall rejoice in thy name. Thou hast a mighty arm. Strong is thy hand, and high is thy right hand. Justice and judgment are the habitations of thy throne. Mercy and truth shall go before thy face. Blessed is the people that know the joyful sound. They shall walk, O Lord, in the light of thy countenance. In thy name shall they rejoice all the day. And in thy righteousness they shall be exalted. In thy righteousness they shall be exalted. You see, you get the picture. For thou art the glory of their strength, and in thy favor our horn shall be exalted. For the Lord is our defense, and the Holy One of Israel is our king. Then thou speakest in vision to thy Holy One, and saidst, I have laid help upon one that is mighty, I have exalted one chosen out of the people. I have found David my servant, with my holy oil have I anointed him. "'With whom my hand shall be established, mine arm shall also shall shall strengthen him. "'The enemy shall not exact upon him, nor the son of wickedness afflict him. "'And I will beat down his foes before his face and plague them that hate him. "'But my faithfulness and my mercy shall be with him, "'and in my name shall his horn be exalted. "'I will set his hand also in the sea and his right hand in the rivers.'" He shall call unto me, Thou art my Father, my God, and the rock of my salvation. Also I'll make him my firstborn, higher than the kings of the earth. Now, in verse 24, it, it, the, the pronoun changed to my because it's God speaking. Okay? And, uh, but all references, independent of who's speaking, is always the faithfulness of God is in view. And in verse 27 here, the firstborn, he's firstborn in two sense. He was the firstborn in Bethlehem. In first, in, in, in the, in, and he's the firstborn in the resurrection. The first begotten of the dead. And king of kings, of course. My mercy will I keep for him forevermore, and my, co- and my covenant shall stand fast with him. His seed also will I make to endure forever. And his throne is the days of heaven. If his children forsake my law and walk not in my judgments, if they break my statutes, keep not my commandments, then will I visit their transgression with a rod and their iniquity with stripes. See, he's going to chastise those that he loves. That's called discipline. Nevertheless, my loving kindness, will I not utterly take from him nor suffer my faithfulness to fail. My covenant will I not break nor alter the thing that has gone out of my lips. Once have I sworn by my holiness that I will not lie unto David. His seed shall endure forever and his throne as the sun before me. It shall be established forever as the moon and as a faithful witness in heaven. Wow. You know, there is some reason as we speak here tonight. There is one sitting at the right hand of God who is coming back to the earth to sit on the throne of David. It's a different throne. It's an earthly throne. Who is that person? The Lord Jesus Christ, Yeshua. And... Uh, He's, David has a son that's going to sit on the throne of the entire universe. And uh, <laughs> it also looks like the moon's going to be around for a long time, right? Okay. But thou hast cast off an abhorred. Thou hast been wroth with thine anointed. Thou hast made void the covenant of thy servant. Thou hast profaned his crown by casting it to the ground. Thou hast broken down all his hedges. Thou hast brought his strongholds to ruin All that pass by the way spoil him. He is a reproach to his neighbors. Now some people argue that these last remarks are aimed at Shishak, which uh, all this occurred in Rehoboam's reign. It focuses on this. By this time, uh, also it may be referring to young uh, Yohiachin had been uh, taken captive to Babylon. His uncle Zedekiah was put in charge under Nebuchadnezzar, of course. Jeremiah pronounces a blood curse on Jeconiah that none of his seed will, will uh, reign. And of course, we know the story there that, that, that the end run on that is the virgin birth through Mary, a parallel line. And uh, thou hast set up the right hand of his adversaries, thou hast made all his enemies to rejoice. Thou hast also turned the edge of his sword and hast not made him to stand in the battle. Thou hast made his glory to cease and cast his throne to the ground. The days of his youth hast thou shortened. Thou hast covered him with shame. How long, O Lord, wilt thou hide thyself forever? Shall thy wrath burn like fire? Remember how short my time is. Wherefore hast thou made all men in vain? What man is he that liveth and shall not see death? Shall he deliver his soul from the hand of the grave? Selah. Lord, where are thy former loving kindnesses, which thou swearest unto David in thy truth? Remember, Lord, the reproach of thy servants, how do I bear in my bosom the reproach of all the mighty people? Wherefore, wherewith thine enemies have reproached, O Lord, wherewith they have reproached the footsteps of thine anointed. See, these people who had gotten away from God at this time. It looked to them as if God had forgotten his covenant. But he hadn't forgotten the covenant. God is faithful. That's the declaration here. God has the man to sit on David's throne with him right now. And then we have this interesting verse. This is not a verse of Psalm 89. Looks like it, doesn't it? Not exactly. This is a doxology that closes book three. Each of the books have a little verse. Blessed be the Lord forevermore. Amen and amen. So this is not considered part of the psalm, it's considered the closing of the whole bunch of what we call book three. We found the same thing in Psalm 41, verse 13, and Psalm 72, verses 18 and 19. And we'll see that at the end of book four. And so, so there we are. Now, you know, as we go through these things, it's not hard to take any one of them and almost every line, and you could almost preach on it, you could go explore it, the possible implications biblically. And that's all fine and good, but it's got to be personal. Again, this is a different, difficult kind of uh, teaching to have because we're not really taking an hour with each psalm. We usually could. We're really just skimming through the tops to get a flavor of them, but what you really need to do if you're going to get value of this is immerse in them. You might uh, just create a little, take a little log and take a psalm per day and make it yours. Read it 10, 20, 30 times. And, and extract from it what God has for you, not what He had for David or so and so, whatever, or for Israel or past or future. No, what He has for you today. And uh, you know, we would usually do that with our Proverbs class because there's 31 chapters in Proverbs. There's 31 days in a month. We have created a, rec- create a little log, and then uh, you take a proverb, a chapter of Proverbs for each day, and keep a little log. And at the end of the day, which one meant the most to you from that one? And you go through, and you'll discover that 31 days later, when you go through that same chapter again, the one that's most important is very different. Because the book of Proverbs defies any organization or categorization. They're just, they're, they're, it's, it's, it's like dealing with a shotgun, not a rifle. But it's interesting how it will, if you start doing that and keep a log, taking a, a chapter of Proverbs every day, how every day one of those Proverbs will rescue you. that day. You read it in the morning prayerfully, go through the day at the end of the day, skim it through again and pick the one that meant the most to you and make a log and just keep doing that. On the second of the month, third month, you know, just go through and watch what happens. You know you could do the same kind of thing with the psalms just keep a little journal take a psalm a day sometimes a little short one, that's easy. sometimes a longer one you maybe want to break it up into pieces but but, uh, immerse in them, soak in them digest them that's where the value comes. And the Psalms will mean more to you as several things happen. It'll mean more to you as you know more of your Bible. It'll have more relevance, potential application. It'll also, but probably most significantly, the Psalms will mean more to you when you are in the valleys. Or in the peaks, either one. But when you're really having serious emotional um episodes, positive or minus, um, the psalms become very dear. And I've I've said before, I'll just repeat it again, anyone that hasn't uh, really been in the depths of despair can speak of the psalms only as the blind speak of color. You have to be there. And when you're in those situations, those psalms will become very meaningful. It's interesting uh, Lockyer is one of the commentators who got a very. Uh, if you're, uh, in terms of resources, uh, the the classic collection on Psalms, of course, is uh, Spurgeon's, The Treasuries of David, three volumes, really going through all the Psalms. But there's another collection that's very different, and that's Lockyer's, who apparently spent 90, uh, 96 years old. He he really knew ancient history. And he really, it's amazing how in each Psalm he knows all through history the people that held. The kings, or this, or martyrs, or whatever, who held that particular psalm in a particular dear. It really, it, and I haven't leaned too much on him for this series because it won't mean a lot to you unless you happen to be familiar with those histories, and most of us probably aren't. Um, but the point is, it's interesting to discover that uh, great kings, great leaders, for centuries, their psalm, their certain psalms, not just the, of the whole book of the Bible, Psalms was the dearest to them. And among those, certain psalms, had a key role in their lives to the death. And um, you read about the martyrs that were burned at the stake and so forth. Almost all of them are quoting a psalm as they went down. And uh, it's interesting how... you See, we, we, we're paging through a hymnal here. Where we don't know the music. And we don't, don't know necessarily the occasions when they sang which ones and so forth. So they're, in that sense, a little strange to us. But we begin to realize that they are endearing. They are embracing... Um, God's person and uh, this uh, studying the book of Psalms is not an intellectual exercise it's really a, a pursuit of a gateway to his presence and so I really want to encourage you to take them really seriously now in the next session we're going to start book 4 there's only 5 books we're already at book 4 and uh, there's uh, from Psalm 90 through 106 we'll be in book 4 Um, Some of these are very, very important Psalms to me, so we'll touch on that as we go, but we'll split it into two parts at least, so why don't we uh, plan for the next session to meditate, don't just read them, but meditate on Psalms 90 through 97, and uh, we'll see how far we go as we get into that, and uh, we we may be able to deal with the whole book in two groups as we did this, uh, book three, but I won't rush it because some of these are very, very important not to rush and, uh, and then following Book 4, of course, includes a couple of real, core, uh, some fabulous ones in Book 4. So that's one reason I'm sort of skating through the, the easy ones, because I want to be able to dwell on 91, and I want to dwell on, you know, 119. We'll spend, we'll spend a whole evening on Psalm 119, and uh, so forth, so as we go. So for next time, let's look at Psalm 90 through 97, and let's stand for a closing word of prayer. You know, uh, Spurgeon made an interesting remark. He says, "We we engrave our trials in marble, but we write our praises in sand." We tend to remember our downsides. We tend to shrug off the good news, the blessings God has showered upon us. We remember them for a day and then move on. Uh, one of the things we need to do, I think, as we mature. Uh, in our study of Psalms is to recognize that uh, God is God and we need to be spending more time with him no matter where we are. So let's bow our hearts. Father, we just praise you for who you are. We thank you, Father, for the incredible heritage that you've endowed us with. We thank you, Father, that you have brought us to this point in time. And Father, we thank you for the treasury of the book of Psalms and what a varied treasure it is what a mixture so Father we would pray that you would through your Holy Spirit draw us into those portions that we do have need for especially now as we would seek Father to know you better to trust you more To be more fully appreciative of the extremes that you've gone to on our behalf, bringing us here right now. Father, we do come before your throne confessing our sins of ingratitude, our sins of presumption, for indeed our sins are many. We thank you, Father that if we do confess our sins, you are faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And as we get a glimpse of the agonies of the past and your people which have endured those to your glory, we pray, Father, that you would strengthen each one of us and equip us for the days ahead for you alone know what they bring but we do pray Father that you would illuminate that path ahead of us that we might better understand what you would have of each of us in the days that remain we do pray Father that you would put a hedge about us and our families that we indeed might abide in your protection in your mercy your loving kindness we thank you father that you are greater than any of our adversaries we thank you father that you are able and that you are faithful So we just commit ourselves completely, without reservation. We commit ourselves into your hands, into your care, into your direction. Guide us. Help us to understand what you would have of us as we come before you in the name of Yeshua. That son of David that will soon take David's throne here on (laughs) earth.
1: You've been listening to 6640, the ministry outreach of Koinonia House and Koinonia Institute. Today's Bible teacher was Chuck Missler, teaching through the book of Psalms. For a complete listing of resources available, please visit khouse.org. Or you can call us on 1-800-KHOUSE1. To learn more about Koinonia Institute, visit koinoniainstitute.org. Thank you for listening to 6640 and for your continued prayerful support of this ministry.